podcast, YouTube podcasts, extravaganza show. I am your host, back with my co-host after a half month on hiatus, Mr. Benjamin, the boss, <laughs> Bateman. It's going to be funny the when fourth. I retire from Schmodown and we're like looking back and it's like years ago. Like, and everybody's like, why does, why do you call him the boss? It's such a silly thing to do. Oh, I won't do that once. Do. I won't do that forever. Oh, this movie trivia thing. Just, um, just, just yes. revel in, in, in that as you still have it. <laughs> I will. I will. Yes. I am back. Uh, Atlanta was a lot of fun. And of course, last week, uh, I was unable to be, make the show. Um, but I am, I have, okay, you still made an appearance. You made cameos. <laughs> Yeah, it was a fun one. I watched I watched the, the M. Night Shyamalan film old last week. Uh, I screened that instead, and uh, it was absurd. So uh, big, big shout to anybody who wants to watch old. You'll probably get a good laugh out of it. Um, but I am back, and we have a lot of modern things to talk about. Modern is flowing, man. It's going. It's popping off right now. There's a lot of good stuff happening in the world of modern in magic. Um, honestly, I've been looking, I've been watching a bunch of stuff, looking at tournament results, trying to figure out where the cards that have been making a, you know, serious impact uh, are coming from and there's there's just a lot it's like it, it really does feel a bit more like 2017 than you know we had the dark ages of 2020 and the beginning of 2021 with modern where it just was like a nothing format for a minute yeah i mean uh, obviously some of that comes with paper magic right like like the modern was is so ostensibly tied to people playing magic in person and magic coming back in some form for in-person magic even though there is some walking back on stuff in regards to that but you know it, it's back uh it came back in a big way with the release of modern horizons 2 i don't think there was i don't think there was a better moment to kind of do that which was really exciting um as far as, you know, fetch lands are now more available. People are picking up stuff they need. The format is is in a really exciting, diverse place. Literally every week, the metagame shifts. Um, we had uh, Zach Allen on two weeks ago uh, to talk about uh, kind of the big metagame breakdown at that point. Even from then, there are new decks. We, you know, eventually we're going to be doing a whole breakdown on Mill. The Enchantress deck, um, the different versions of other stuff going on in the format. It's really exciting. Uh, and then at the same time, you know, there's been a lot of announcements in regards to stuff going on Arena, which is kind of the other half of that. And it's interesting to see, like, like this is kind of a weird um, a nexus in time. <laughs> if Doctor Who was traveling through it, he couldn't change this moment. But between the fact that Modern Horizons 2 has launched... Um, kind of creating this whole resurgence into the world of paper magic at the same time of us all returning the paper magic. And then uh, at the same time that Dungeons and Dragons has been introduced as characters into the world, of magic while on the other hand, arena is releasing, releasing jumpstart uh, historic horizons, which will have a 31 uh, arena exclusive cards that will work only with arena and the rules that are allowable to work on arena is a interesting split in what's possible in magic. And, and obviously that that's a little bit, we're going to talk today about today, but it's, it's an interesting divide. It really is. And, and I really think that um, what's happening right now with the, the mod, the modern and also just the magic landscape is really unique. And I think a little later in the episode, we can kind of dive into that a little bit more about sort of what does the next step, what does it look like? Um, and I think for me, the big thing I've noticed is that paper magic and 1v1 competitive magic is probably the same that it's always been. I think that the player that is attracted, let's say the PTU, the PTQ grinder, the player that wants to play in the main event at a GP, the player that really wants to break into metagames, right? Like that's like that's a thing that has always existed and I think continues to exist. Whether or not the cards are from new IP like Dungeons and Dragons, or we're going to talk about some of these historic uh, digital only cards, but like whatever it is, whatever version it is, that player wants to use all parts of the Buffalo and that player wants to compete and find an edge and win. Where magic has changed so much and where I really feel the difference is that the, the world has embraced the idea of playing magic as a social experience. And you're seeing that as it spreads into celebrity culture and the game continues to get more and more focus and more of a sort of a broad exposure to a large audience, 
you know, I think this trading card moment that happened during COVID was a big part of it. I think people got so in love with collecting trading cards again that that was able to birth this. But, you know, we've seen our friend uh, Cassius Marsh, who now has a store. And, and you've seen that he's posting with Joe Manganiello, who's heavily connected to Dungeons and Dragons. And you've seen the kids from uh, Cobra Kai are playing Magic. And you've got, obviously, Post Malone was just on the command zone. Like, there is a lot more attention to the idea of playing a casual game of Magic right now than there ever has been. Whereas our lane, which is to talk about modern and that 1v1 competitive thing, feels like it's just getting back to the height of what it's been before. It feels like it took a little bit of a hit during COVID. It was struggling. And now, to me, it feels like we're back to that thing existing again. Yeah. Just without the Pro Tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's like an interesting space. And, and that's, that's something that there's a big question mark on the future, right? Is what does professional magic look like going forward? And it's, it's weird. There's, there's a... I think there's some anger in the community uh, towards, you know, obviously last year, there is a significant amount of money that was promised to in tournament play that people had been working to qualify for that then was removed from the prize pool as we got into COVID in a moment where no one kind of knew what was going to happen in the future was like magic could have struggled a lot last year with no one going to play paper magic and the combination of arena plus commander kind of being as successful as it was really kind of helped and like continue magic from a perspective of purchasing going forward. And so wizards did this thing where they pulled prize support and canceled tournament play basically at the same moment that they had record breaking profits. And so people are looking at them and being like, what the hell? Why aren't you, you know, you should be bringing that money back to tournament play. But then on the other hand of that spectrum, wizards has also learned oh, this marketing strategy for the last 30 years of a significant portion of our marketing budget goes to the pro tour and pro play in general and this pro circuit isn't actually a thing that's driving tons of tons of tons of sales for us. The things that are driving sales for us are advertising campaigns, partnerships, uh, you know, advertising games with celebrities, partnerships with content creators like the command zone or Twitch streamers or other content creators that are more casually focused, um, looking at the world of, you know, other properties and bringing them in like the walking dead and now like dungeons and dragons and kind of capitalizing on those successes while staying true to making sure the quality of the brand continues has been really successful. That being said, I do not think pro 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 play is gone. I think once, magic fests can happen again they're starting up back in spades and we've gone we've had a whole episode where we've talked about what that could look like so there's definitely a recommendation to watch that episode uh which is like the future of magic pro play or magic paper play but i do think that we are looking at an adjustment on what is the priority from a financial perspective because because that's all the pro tour ever was right it was a marketing budget if you were to ask where does the pro tour and pro play fall in wizards budget line it was it wasn't in like a profit area it was in a marketing expense and some of that's going to go to other places now well i think what's really interesting about it is um a lot of you guys know i do this thing the movie trivia showdown and this season uh we have seen the show be heavily reinvented it's a movie trivia competitive show we brought in a lot of people who were playing uh who were not known quantities, you know, they were good at trivia, they auditioned, they played digital matches, COVID, we had to do Zoom matches. And what you found was a real difference between the original version of the show that made the show popular, which was so, not celebrities, but digital personalities who were podcasters and movie critics and people that had an audience competing against each other. And the fans of those people wanting to see what happens when, you know, Matt Damon plays against uh, Ben Affleck, right? right? I mean, right. not that, but like, but you know, people, they want to watch do something. Sure. It didn't really have to do with how good the or person like, was at trivia. If Nerdist versus Cinema Sins battles it out, who's going to be the more better at knowing trivia? And, he, and however the match goes doesn't really matter to the fan of those people because they just want to watch their favorite personalities do the thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that's what the show was. So... What it's become is it's all about winning and losing. It's all about how much do you know? Um, it's tough. As somebody who has competed at the highest level, it's very difficult. If you compare that to the world of magic, we've never had a world where the magic celebrity, the pro player, 
is the reason that Magic the Gathering exists. Like that's not, it's never been the world. The best we've had is guys like LSV and Kibler and guys who are streamers and personalities that are known within Magic. People like them. And because they like them, they're, they're more prone to watch them play at the highest level. But the other 95% of the people competing at the highest level are not known quantities. Fans don't want to watch them because they're a somebody. They're just watching the event. And that didn't grow the proceeds. That formula that we're talking about didn't grow it to a place where it was self-sustaining and brought in so many dollars via views that they could just justify it. They tried it in so many different ways and they tried to take their marketing budget and make that happen. And what we were left with was something that was always at the best for them, kind of breaking even in terms of their cost. Whereas all of the money the company was making was selling JPEGs <laughs> and printing money and encouraging people to buy them at Walmart. Like... That's that's like where Magic became a profitable enterprise because it's a company. And so when they try to figure out a way to promote competitive play, they have to look at that and say, if this isn't promoting the game and selling packs for us, then what are we doing it for, right? It can't just be a novelty for us as Magic fans that we just want to have a pro scene if the company just loses money to have a pro scene. If it's not self-sustaining over after 10 years, 20 years, then it's more difficult to come up with a way to make it work. So they have to reinvent. Right. They and, figure and, there, out. and there are still some benefits, right? Like like pro players are often one of the best funnels for figuring out who to hire at Wizards, right? Like that that's true. And oh, and I, I want to add I want to add before I finish just yeah. I'll, I'll throw back to you. I'm not saying that there's not value. I definitely sure. think there's value. What I'm saying is that right now, I think fans are more likely to want to watch post Malone play against Cassius Marsh in a featured match on Wizards homepage than they are to watch 99% of pro players, not because the game's better, but because it's exciting for them to watch people who they know who they are and they feel like they have a connection to someone they wouldn't know at their local game store playing Magic. I think that that's what they're recognizing. And so I think that that's like a difficult place for the company to be there. They're trying to find their way. Well, I think, yeah, and I think, I think obviously with record breaking profits, they're also able to spend more money on, on marketing efforts. I, I do think also there's an interesting thing that we found with our stream, right? Is, uh, especially during quarantine is casual magic is a more entertaining casual magic with entertaining personalities is a more entertaining entertaining watching experience than professional play at the highest level outside of top eights right where like and 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 obviously there's still some good stuff right like like winning ins on day ones or day twos of a gp are going to always be really really exciting and and players you know but like because pro play was often commentators commenting on people playing that you don't listen to there was always this weird dichotomy of like almost watching golf Right. Like then and, and golf is a tried and true ESPN, like every single major tournament is aired on TV and has great viewership activity. So it, it, that is not an insult towards magic. But watching magic was a golf like experience, watching golf like experience. You have two people talking over people playing about interesting, specific details that if you don't know anything about the game, you don't know what's going on versus you can watch game nights. Or you can watch even our commander stream every Monday night, 7.30 p.m. <laughs> uh, and you'll get Tappy and Olivia, me and Ben hanging out, having a good time. That's more of a podcasting almost audio experience um, because you can have people talking and interacting. And that's like that's the other problem. When we when we did a few streams at the beginning of quarantine of 1v1 play, both on arena and paper, the problem we ran into is you don't just talk. you and I just tanking. It's just you and I you tanking and looking at our cards. Yeah, you, yeah, there's no conversation happening when you're playing a game of 1v1 Magic with your opponent that's entertaining because you're trying to win. You're having a great time. I love playing Magic 1v1. And you can have that kind of rapport and conversation, but it isn't an inherent feature to the game. So from a if we're making television content about Magic to spread Magic awareness, you're going to have a better chance of getting new audience members through that type of gameplay than you are with pro play. Now what pro play does do, which is why they'll still be a pro circuit of some extent is it motivates people to keep playing, right? Like instead of me just buying a few packs and never touching it again, or just like getting my one commander deck, if I want to be a standard player, if I want to be a modern player, and that's going to be the second half of today's episode, you need to be buying into the most recent cards, the most recent set, continuing to build your collection so that you can compete at the highest level. Well, I think also um, something to point out to what you were saying at the beginning of the your comment, um, with record-breaking profits, they can spend more money on something. That's true 
only if they feel like what they're spending money on is a worthwhile feature, if they believe it. Now, I'm not saying they should or they shouldn't, because my opinion is that I've always enjoyed watching Pro Magic since I since I started watching it when they started streaming it in like 2008 or something like that. Like I've always loved it. It's always been fun for me. I like to play 1v1. So as a viewer, I'm happier when that exists than when it doesn't exist. But from a company, and you own one, so you know, like, if you're going to spend money and you're going to break even on something, whether or not you're making more money as a company than you've ever made or you're struggling, if there's a reason for you to do it, even if you break even or lose money, you'll do it. Like if it creates an experience that's important to you, if you're creating something that you want to have, uh, if there's value, if it's just important to you on some level to have it, you'll do it whether or not it makes money. For them, I don't think that the Pro Tour is that. I think for them, the Pro Tour is a marketing thing. And I think if it's, uh, there's not, I, I know there are people within the company that we know who love it, who played on that circuit. So I know for them, but I'm saying the people up top, the people who actually look at the dollar signs and decide what to do, if they look at something that is likely breaking even or losing money, whether or not they're making the most money they've ever made or not, it doesn't matter. But if I, they, if, I, I guess my point is I don't think the Pro Tour was just breaking even. I think that it was making money for them. I think like the PTQ circuit and the GP circuit were a profitable endeavor. I don't think they're just doing uh, it because, right? Like I think Grand Prix, like I think I think more than anything, Magic Fest are the first version of a Pro Circuit to come back because I think those were a worthwhile financial endeavor uh and then having that feed into four pro tours that are advertising events for a season is fine i think what's different is they went deep on esports and that i think yes. is is not necessarily going to continue in the same way what what i think what they've what they've gotten rid of because because they've already said there will be some version of a tournament circuit that comes back we understand the value of what that is what they right. aren't going to have is the promise that you can be a professional magic player Right. That's right. that's what's going right, away. You'll make money. Yeah, what yeah. what 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 is always been true, except for that one it actually no, that's not true. It has always been true. What has always been true is the way you make money as a professional magic player is you make a brand for yourself that you then use to write articles, make videos, sponsorships, do coverage, get hired t by wizards, right? Like you don't make money as a professional magic player through tournament winnings. Sometimes you make a good chunk of change and that's like a cool like lottery reward, but you never made it through like you never made a sustainable career through just like grinding tournaments. You did make a successful career off of winning a bunch of tournaments to start writing for SEG article pro strategy once a week. Uh, go do coverage, do video content, get hired by wizards. Like all of those things were kind of the path of like where that career went to and were ways to do it. And then even when they created the MPL, there were streaming contracts. There were, right? Like it, it came with, you are a marketing tool for this division and you have to do these things once a week, which was a grind, but was also their full-time job. So it is, it is there. It was never not true that the way to make money as a magic player was as a marketing tool. And that hasn't changed what has changed is what are kind of being honest about it. Well, yeah, I think, I think, uh, my point, you, you, you've actually corrected me a little bit with one of the things I was saying, because I, I kept referencing 10 or 20 years of data. Um, and it's true that the MPL and them going deep on esports and spending the money they spent on professional contracts to encourage a certain number of people to take seriously the idea of this as a sustainable full-time job. That was a new thing that had never existed. That was something that they that, that literally they only started doing that in the last three years. So the fact that that started and stopped was that was them saying we spent a bunch of money. We tried this thing. We thought it might work. It didn't work the way we wanted it to. We're going to go back to something closer to what we did before. And the thing they did before you mentioned Grand Prix and Magic Fests, um, Magic Fests as they're called now as the first thing to come back. See, in my mind, I know that winning a Grand Prix and, and eventually top eighting a Grand Prix, that was your ticket to get onto that pro circuit. But in my mind, I also didn't ever go to Grand Prix and Magic Fests with the idea that that was what I was going to do. I only ever went to those things because sometimes it would be fun to sign up to a 1,200 person event and be like, what would happen? You know, right. like, but most of the time it was like I'd play until I dropped and then I'd like do chaos drafts and hang out with people and love being there. And that was my favorite stuff. And that was that to me, that wasn't the pro circuit. To me, that was part of the ecosystem of live magic events. Like, that's a different thing. Right. Pro play and live magic events to me are not the same thing. You can have a PTQ or you can have the ability to get to a pro tour fed from a live event. But most of the people, 97% of the people at a GP are not there because they believe if they play optimally, they're going to get a blue slip. That's just not how that's not. I don't think that's the way that most people went to Grand Prix. Sure. And, and like even PTQs. 
at my greatest time, like I always like, oh, it'd be great to win one of these things, right? Or even top eight yeah. one of them. But I was going because it's like, oh, this is the best way to do a 12 hour nine round tournament in my area that like felt legit instead of like, you know, going to FM where this one store had eight, you know, 12 people and you'll play three rounds, but the pairings will be weird because there's a weird odd number and at least one of the rounds might be against a child. <laughs> like it was always like fun, but not like, oh, I'm getting to grind against people that are trying to win this thing. And that was always kind of what was great about that and like that competitive spirit. And that's what I don't think is going away. I don't even think pro tours go away. Right. I think that comes back. Like if I was in charge of the universe, I would just bring back the old system. And maybe feed an arena to some of that extent, but like literally just bring which, back which old system, the old system, like the 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 prior to Magic Fest Grand Prix or I, the I think, prior to COVID Magic Fests. I think the prior to Magic Fest system, the Magic Fest system, the prior to arena Magic Fest system. But I'm saying Grand in the old days, Grand Prix were not conventions at all. They were I, like no, no, pretty I, much I want, the main I want events. the Magic Fest part okay, to yeah, come yeah. back right like I, I i don't think it's a good idea to go out i want command zones and panels and artists and bun- budgets for all those yeah, people to yeah, be yeah. there and i mean we've talked about this i want i want entry fees i want every person yeah, who yeah. joins to every person that shows up either has to be playing in the main event playing in the command zone or have put in some amount of money to get them a gift card so that you have an entry fee that pays for the event yeah right whatever we are we had a whole episode about that <laughs> but i want what i'm saying is like the pro tour model of Top eight of Grand Prix, which happened at Magic Fests, uh, PTQ winners, top rated players, and and then maybe like X amount of people from the last one all get invited to a, a, a Pro Tour event by winning those events. That Pro Tour event happens. You get a prize amount of money in that, and it is a decent amount, but nothing like insane and it's just something cool and exciting for people to play for. There's live coverage of those events the way that they were doing it with, you know, BDM and Corbin Hausler and all of our friends <laughs> like live yeah. streaming the, the event, get some new people up there, right? Like all, all the, obviously there's a bunch of people like the SCG tour exists, right? Like that, that is a profitable event series and there's a reason for that. Yeah. So I don't think tournament magic is non-profitable. I think that the like pay the pros model was one that didn't work. And, and, the pay the, and, the, and the pay the pros model was based not on let's give these talented players of magic um, enough money to live every year so that they can represent us as the professional players. It was you have to do a certain amount of streaming to show off that you are a good player and that our game is legitimate and that's going to get new people to take our game seriously. Right. That's a marketing expense. That's purely a marketing expense, right? right. That's why the prize support change. And, so, and if like pro players who want to play in tournament series don't want to feel like they're being exploited for that purpose, then the magic might just not work because like it I, I do think that like no matter what the way to make money in this space is that and because it is a single product it's not a sport it's not like tennis or golf or basketball where there's multiple companies competing for the same thing and people and people ask like if you compare it to golf and golf is successful and profitable then like well why it's like well i don't know why but people watch it people it has high enough viewership numbers and there's enough money involved from the sponsors and the brands that golf can continue it continues on right. it doesn't died like that's that was my point to start this whole bit was self-sustainability for this sort of stuff has to exist on some part of the model has to has to exist to keep it going mm-hmm. um you know like it's if why it doesn't and it's why the scg circuit works right SCG makes money because people buy cards from their website and sell them cards at their events. And that's why the tournament series exists. And it's possible that stuff like the SCG series is the future of professional magic. Right. The company that makes the company that makes the cards doesn't necessarily have to pay for and host the events. But all that being said, we're we're, we're kind of into a conversation now about the the general sort of future of the model well, before, 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 before we jump into the next bit, uh, make sure, uh, please, uh, below there's a link. It's the TCG There's a little bitly explains what's going on. If you click on that link, uh, TCG remembers that you came there from us and that makes it. So if you buy cards in TCG player, which is a great place to buy magic cards, uh, that's generally where I do all my purchasing. Uh, if I'm not going to a local game star, uh, and they have a super wide selection because it's a bunch of different things from a different marketplace. So they're never sold out on cards that you might need. Um, and if you click on that link, it'll just remember that you came from us. It'll be like, oh, 
these guys came from the MMCast, and we'll get some amount of financial return for that, which helps us keep this podcast alive and growing. Um, other than that, uh, make sure we are doing live Commander streams every Monday night. Uh, Thez, if you miss them, so it's 7.30 p.m. on the Kess Wiley Twitch channel, my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Kess Wiley. Um, we do every Monday night, 7.30 PST. Those videos, if you did miss them, still live on that Twitch channel, but then also get posted now to the Kess Games YouTube channel. Um, no longer the MMCast YouTube channel because this is a modern place and that's where other games go from us. So that's that's where you'll find uh, Commander content. Uh, and for instance, we just posted uh, today um, us playing with Olivia uh, from the CAG and Tappy Toe Claws. Uh, and was, it was literally the first match I tried putting together for that stream and just people kept schedules not working. So we finally got that together one year later. Uh, and it's it's a blast. True. That was We had been trying to schedule that one particular stream yeah. for that long. Wow, you! I would have thought that getting those two together with the two of us would have been something we could have done a year well, ago. It was like early on, Olivia was in, and then she had to reschedule, and then she started working for over the fall period at a job that made it unavailable on Mondays, and then mm. it was just kind of a rolling scheduling thing. But we did it; it happened. It. Uh, it was fun. Yeah, very fun. Um, I'll, I'll small preview. Tybalt, the original two mana planeswalker, is a significant part of the match in a way that and was Alex, unexpected. And Alex, is, and Alex is a villain, and and honestly. I'm going to just start I'm going to start literally recording audio clips of when you say things on these streams and having them queued up so that when you're like, don't do anything here, don't pay attention to me. I'm just going to play the clip and be like, this is what he said last time. And this is what happened. Hey, you just painted yourself as the actual bad guy because you go hard against me every single episode. You just come out being like, I'm going to kill Alex no matter what. And then people are like, that's weird. Alex is a nice guy. And I'm like. I am Ben's the asshole here. So and then I don't I don't use I almost you know, never I haven't I've only you. won like two games this year. <laughs> <laughs> For as as much uh crap that people talk, I'm I am I am uh because you target me so heavily, I'm always like <laughs> two steps behind. Um so yeah, it's I usually fun. It's I usually also don't win because I target you. Yes. And so then I you end up going back at me and our guests usually win, which is a good thing. Yeah, that's the that's goal. Um yeah. so so uh make sure to check those two things out. And uh last but not least, uh Ben's going on tour. I am. I am indeed going on tour. Um October twenty seventh, I hit the road. My first show is in Denver, Colorado. Um I am playing Denver, then I'm playing Austin, then Orlando, Boston, New York. Columbus, Ohio, Chicago, Nashville, Seattle, San Francisco, and some LA shows as well. Uh, it'll be about five weeks, give or take. Uh, BenBateman2021Tour.com is the website you guys can go to to check it out, get tickets. And if you've never heard my music before, which I totally get, uh, give it a listen. It's on. I have a YouTube channel, or you can find it on the Spotify or Apple or anywhere else, Amazon. It's, it's everywhere. Just look it up, Ben Bateman. Uh, and if you like it, uh, grab a ticket. Every one of the shows is going to be kind of like just a personal meet and greet hangout. They're all private rooms and booking. 20, 30 people a show, um, very kind of intimate experiences. And I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to mean a lot to me. And I've been working my uh, my butt off for the last year recording and uh, performing this music. So it would be very cool to see you guys there. But uh, one way or another, I will be back doing this show every week with Alex. So there you have it. Absolutely. All right. So the next thing we're going to talk about is Historic Horizon. So for those who don't know, uh, Wizards of the Coast announced Jumpstart 2.0. So uh, last year, Jumpstart was a product they released in paper and on Arena that was this really cool mechan game mechanic where you would get two packs and they would have, um, I think, 20 cards each or 30 cards each, whatever whatever amount of cards it was. I think it was, yeah, 15 or 20 cards each, but they were thematic based on a tribe. So by shuffling them together, you basically are creating a deck that's playable. Uh, and it'll be like one pack will be like goblins and the other one will be warlocks or another pack would be cats and another pack would be dogs. And they would shuffle together and you get these like two different themes that would then try to work together. And then you would battle someone out. It's maybe the easiest way to teach someone new how to play magic and the easiest like quick Easy to jump into playing a game of Magic that's really, really fun. Highly recommend it uh, if you can find a box. They're actually around now, so they're pretty inexpensive. So taking that format, um, this year they're doing just for just for Arena, um, Jumpstart Historic Horizons. And part of the purpose of this is to bring Modern Horizons cards from both Modern Horizons 1 and Modern Horizons 2 into Arena. And then it, it, normally these add a bunch of new cards, so there'll be a bunch of cards added to to historic in general um but the big news for this set 
because all that would be fine and kind of expected from people. But the big news is that there is going to be a series of 31 exclusive to arena only magic cards that are built around mechanics that are, don't work in real life. This includes multiple planeswalkers, including a Sarkon and a Davriel. Um, and then three kind of keyworded mechanics. The first one being seek, which is a, a tutor effect, but it gives like a, 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 um, a stipulation. For instance, one is uh search for a card out of your deck that has equal to like, what is it? It's basically whatever creature type you have the most of in your deck. So say you have like five elves and everything else, or five wizards and everything else is just random other creature types. It'll then randomly put one of those wizards into your hand, or it'll give you a different stipulation of enchantments or whatever. And then you get a random one from inside your deck put into your hand. So it's kind of a cool tutor effect with some randomness attached to it perpetually, which is a permanent change to cards that it affects. So it'll make, this card, no matter which zone it goes into for the rest of the game, cost one additional mana. Or uh, Sarkon actually makes all dragon cards cost one less additional mana. Um, and now that you can use X, so they can start making dragons for free. So it's like a cool modification to all cards in the hand or game that are affected permanently for us the game. All, like all creatures get plus one, plus two perpetually. Um, and then the third ability is Conjure which cards that conjure have a list of cards that are outside of the game uh, that when you conjure a card doing whatever it says, sometimes it's random. Sometimes it's a specific one. You put that card into your hand. So for instance, Davriel, um, which I will bring up, who is a planeswalker uh, is uh, plus one until your next turn. Whenever an opponent attacks you and or a planeswalker, you control, they discard a card. If they can't, they sacrifice an attacking creature. It's a two black, black, four mana planeswalker. Uh, it has minus two, accept one of Davriel's offers, then accept one of Davriel's conditions. And Davriel will offer you three choices from the options below. Draw three cards, conjure a manor guardian card into your hand, which is a type of card that would then get added to your hand, return two random creature cards from your graveyard to your hand, then perp they perpetually gain plus one, plus one. So that would be plus one, plus one for your hand forever. Return a random creature card with the highest mana value from among cards in your graveyard to the battlefield. You get an emblem with creatures you control, get plus two, plus zero, and then a bunch of other things. Or Davril require you to choose a condition from among the three options below, and it's a bunch of... Um, uh, uh, different negative effects, right? Kind of comparable. And you'll get three of the first things at random and three of the second things at random, and you have to decide amongst them. That is, and then the hit, his, his, his minus three, his target creature perpetually gets minus three, minus three. So it permanently gives something uh, minus three, minus three. That is why this mechanic could be done in paper. That was so complicated. I kind of lost track of what I was saying in the midst of saying it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, so, so like, yes, I, uh, as I am looking at Davriel here and you're describing and explaining it's, it, yeah, it's, it's the literal reason this can exist in digital. You don't have to know what the card does as much. I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's the best thing. And the reason is because if you're choosing to, put Davriel into a constructed deck in historic, you have to know all of those conditions. So specifically to make the choice to use the card or not use the card. And what you just described and all of that information that I need to try to get in front of me is like so much. <laughs> I would never want to, I would just be like, this is confusing. If it's not written on the card, like uh, in these, in this little text box, I don't know. I'll probably forget, you know, but that, that has that, that not all of these are that random. Now, some of them are right. A lot of people have complaints that Hearthstone esque mechanics are being added to the game of magic, the things that they don't like. And that's a whole conversation I want to have in a second. But I think like a, another point is like Tome of the Infinite is a good one. Conjure a random card from Tome of the Infinite Spellbook into your hand. It perpetually gains. May You may spend mana as though you can whatever mana you want. You can spend it. And that has stuff from Giant Growth, the Fog, to Lightning Bolt, to Assault, Strobe, Duress, Dark Ritual, Ponder, Force Spike, Swords, the Plasher, and Light of Hope. All of these cards are amazing cards, right? Light of Hope being the yep. worst one, but also the most options. And so for one blue, Legendary Artifact, you tap it, you get a random top 10 spells of all time card into your hand and i mean yeah yeah like i so so i think my point is to say and this this kind of i think brings to mind a greater question that this the conversation of of digital cards being added specifically to arena that are never going to be printed in paper or at least for right now aren't being printed well not, none of these can be right they're, they're specifically yeah. using mechanics i think there's like two so far that have been previewed that like 
you could keep track of. But otherwise, yes. Uh, this is fundamentally changing what the game of Magic that we know is to something else. It's not changing it to something else like it's a different game. It's just adding an element that is unfamiliar. This has happened before with new card types. Planeswalkers were, will come to mind. There are, there are certain card types that have come around over the years that are they feel very different. You have to understand something totally different, fundamentally different than what you've understood before. That being said, I think that Magic is in a little bit of a we-can-never-go-back territory. Like I think, I think there's a lot of different changes that are happening to the game right now. And I think if you look at digital exclusive cards being introduced and the idea that the reason these extremely complicated cards can exist the way they do is because you don't need to shuffle. And it's a list of things that's going to be explained to you on a screen in a really comfortable, iconic way where you're going to read it with great, you know, great shading and lighting. And it's going to just going to see it right there. And it's going to tell you what it does. And that's going to be that. Um, and I understand that that's a cool thing. But it is fundamentally different than 2007 magic 2012 magic, like it, it feels like a different game. Sure. On some level. Well, so I guess I guess there's two sides, right? Hey, you can go back, right? You could just ban all these cards. Or or if say if say if say cards with that like do stuff at random to bring it into your hand are problematic for people to an extent that it's hurting PR and sales, you can ban those cards and maybe the perpetual I, but I, but I ones. Add, I, I want to add. I want you to continue from right here where you are, but I do want to add. When I say can't go back, I'm not just talking about this mechanic. I'm talking about everything that we're currently experiencing with Magic. I'll add to that in a second. It, from everything from celebrity involvement to a greater focus on casual to lack of pro tour to digital only cards. We're just in a territory of stuff we've never seen before. It's all a lot of it's brand new. It's like a brave new world. I guess there's there's multiple pieces of the conversation that I think we should talk about and we should kind of separate them out. The first one is how do you feel specifically about cards existing on arena that don't exist in paper in this large of a quantity? I'm not thrilled about it. Um, and the biggest reason is because as much as I really like Arena, I think they did an incredible job. Like I'm so, I, I can't even begin to tell you. I'm a 15 out of 10 in terms of my happiness that Arena like exists and is now available on my phone. Just like hats off to Wizards for finally getting it done. Um, that being said, when I think about magic cards, I think about all the cards that have ever been printed, all the ideas that I have for decks, the combining of things. There's a just, you know, there's just a list in my head of what exists and everything that exists in my head is in play and on some level in some format that I can play with my buddy on a Saturday afternoon, a cup of coffee at 1 p.m. at his at his place. We can just get together and hang out. You know, you and I can get together and we can play our paper decks. The idea that I'm going to become familiar with cards, um, they're going to feel in my mind like they're real cards that I can't play in paper. There's an impossible way. To, I can't do it. Like it's only something I can do with a computer that I don't like because I'm not going to remember my, my brain's not going to register which of those cards, if they keep doing it, which of those cards I can actually play in person. It'll, it'll just stop at a certain point. There'll just be no more way for me to remember. It's very similar. Like our, our buddy, Eric in the early years of us doing the podcast, would he'd throw deck ideas and I'd be like, Oh, that's cool. But Goblin Bombardment's not in modern, you know? And he'd be like, what do you mean? And I'd be like, well, it's just not in modern, man. I'm sorry. I mean, it is now, but... Well, but that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good point kind of against that and the complaint everyone have, right? Is that, like, most people can keep track of format legality, right? I, I, I know which cards are legal and, like, there are a ton of cards that I love. Not legal in modern, but they're legal in legacy or they're legal in commander. There's a ton of, like, especially commander versus modern. The amount of, like, new cards that are printed in commander sets that are not legal in modern is a thing that, like, you know, we used to joke in Highlander Roulette, which is kind of the format you're talking about, where our friends would, like, try and brew cards and then, like, oh, that card's not legal. Or, like, there was the whole debate, should we allow those cards into the format when they were getting, like, foil judge promos? And we're like, yes, they exist. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the world, the days in which that was where our time went. <laughs> uh, so, so like, I think, I think, like, legality and what's legal in a format and what's available in different formats is something that has always been... Like, if I look at these as things that are just, like, these are legacy cards, right? Like in my brain space from a modern player's perspective, I'm fine. I don't, my life doesn't change it. The one, the, yeah, yeah, my life doesn't change there. Right. Like I keep track of it. There's also, there's been five cards that are only on arena for since it's launch, right? There's been inspiring commander, which is the four white, white one, four, whenever another creature with power two or less enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life and draw a card. 
right? That card just existed on Arena and hasn't been legal in paper, and people have survived. Um, right. I, yeah. To me, to me, the issue of like I, I kind of want just every eternal format to add these cards to a ban list so that people just like realize when they're searching for cards on decked or something that they're not legal in legacy or modern right i guess that's like the one thing is just like make the announcement these are a band even though they don't exist in paper to like help my brain deal with it but even then like i mean that's so that point you make is interesting which is like right now there's a very small number and because of what i'm talking about which is that my my memory for magic cards is pretty good but still like I'm going to be using decked or some database most of the time. So if it doesn't include these cards, then I just won't, I won't worry about it much in the same way that there are certainly on, you know, there are unglued cards and things like that, that show up in these searches. I'm like, Oh, that's not a real card. I'm not going to pay attention to that, but that's right now. The whole point of this conversation is what's the future, right? So if the future of magic is that in the next five years, there's 700 cards over, you know, year over year that are premiered uh, that are digital only because the popularity of digital is so big. Like, that's going to be pretty hard to do right now. The only reason that the reserve list is less annoying than it is than, than it could be to remember is because 75% of the cards are horrible <laughs> and like so clearly different looking. Like they're so obviously different looking than other cards. They're so old looking that I can just tell often when I look at one, like this is a reserve list card. Um, if you're just talking about cards with modern artwork, modern frames, modern mechanics, and I'll see one, in, you know, in historic when I'm playing and I just won't even double check. I'll just look at it and get used to playing with it. And mm-hmm. then I'll be like, oh, this just doesn't exist. Oh, that sucks. Like, I don't like I don't like the idea that in a few years we're going to have, you know, hundreds of those cards. Like, I don't think that that's good for the future of paper magic. Yeah, I guess I guess one thing I would maybe like is I'd like some type of uh, visual signifier for anywhere that these are posted as full cards that these are like beyond just like a little set symbol that i can't see or even a watermark like a like a it's legit like a thing on them it's like a different card frame if it's like a different yeah. looking card enough where like unglued and uncards have silver borders so there's a zero percent chance i'll ever mistake one of those if i see one it's like oh i i won't pay attention to this card yeah like if a digital silver like, border where it's still legal and historic right I, i'm fine with it being legal and historic well i have a different issue there uh and it's more of like a lost possibility of the future that really was never going to happen but uh, i would love for wingsteed trainer to just have like a purple border right or bring back gold borders for these like that's something that like doesn't matter i I, I was just going to suggest that maybe like you have the silver for the unsets you have the back the gold border on the back for collector's edition what if like gold borders on the front are digital only cards that's fine like yeah I have no or, problem or, or the like rare ones that are in legal and yeah i think that would be fine or yeah I, I like i agree i think that would be how i would like to like make it easier for people to deal with i think gold border already has rules baggage attached to it so it'd have to be something that's not gold border right because there are gold border front cards which ones for like a ton all the all those decks have the gold border on the front like, oh, just the collectors, like the, the, those collectors edition. Yeah, like decks. I have a, I have gold border force of will. I have a gold border. Right. Yeah, right, right, you can get gold uh, border uh, power nine. Uh, yeah, yeah that's I'm, like I, I'm mixing up two things. There's collectors edition, which is gold on the so that's gold on the back, and then there's gold on the front, which is the signature deck series. Yes. that's where you have. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, either yeah. either way, gold border has a rules thing already, right? So just like make them purple, like make them mythic colored on the border or make them bronze or whatever, you know, something to like something. Yeah. Or or yeah, give them a weird like matrix border <laughs> so you know that they're digital only. I think that would help. Uh, I think people from a like brain signifier as far as like the fact that they exist, people have like people are unhappy about it. Like we are going to get comments in the video. The fact that we are just mildly okay with this where people are going to be unhappy that this exists. Uh, This was like the drama on Twitter last week. I do think that I think in the long run, it's mostly harmless. There's been stuff like this. Shondalar, the old the old magic video game that came out in the 90s or early 2000s, has a bunch of cards in it that aren't printed in the paper because for the same reason. They like couldn't be made because they were fake. Like they used mechanics that couldn't happen. Um, I mean, what about like what what about like plane chase and card type conspiracy and like things like that that have existed that are just like different versions that have gotten printed in paper where like you look at them and you're like, oh, this is cool and interesting but like it's clear to me this is not a normal magic card like i'm not going to use this well because like, i can't because you can in historic right like that these are historic legal tournament playable cards and we'll see tournament play 
right? These are mm. these are as legitimate as like lightning bolt. But my point is that like these only are in one format in one version of Magic. They are only you can only do this in the smallest sliver of the Magic ecosystem. You can play these cards in this one version of Magic. Right. And in so any, guess, any eternal format on Arena, right? So you can play it in Gladiator. You can play it in uh, Singleton Br- or Historic Brawl, Historic. But yes, yes, I, I, I agree. That's a small proportion of the world. Brawl, Gladiator, and historic comparing those to like plane chase or arch enemy or something that like that's a little different because like well, but those are like standalone products it's close but i don't even disagree so with you. or silver like border yeah it's just not that different like i'm i'm i i stand to my i i still stick to my point which is that i don't actually think the necessity to do this like i don't think it's worth it i i don't think that we're actually gaining that much by adding this level of complication but on the other hand, if we're hoping that Magic's around for the next hundred years, then the, the streams are eventually going to get crossed. Like it was just going to have to happen. Like I guess they could have always stuck to just printing them in both, but it's so much easier for them to come up with stuff and test it and think it's cool and then roll it out 90 days later than it is for them to be like, can we do this? Let's see how we're at in uh, 18 to 24 months. That is true. Like what is a- what is cool about these cards kind of building on that is that if one of them is too powerful, they can add a mana. For the first time ever, they could subtract a power. They could, yeah, they just they could adjust the card, adjust the card instead of banning it, which is an interesting way to deal with being able to print powerful cards onto arena that aren't paper analogous. That's OK, so we'll get to that bit in a bit. Here's an interesting question. If these are super successful, people really like them because yeah. that's the one thing I think there's a lot of complaining happening right now, and then a lot of people are going to get to play with them. And they're going to be like, oh, these cards are fun. Yeah, of course. And like, yeah, it sucks I don't get it in paper, but like, I understand why I can't. And they're fun on Arena. Cool. My life isn't different. (laughs) Uh, Especially because they're legal format that you can't play those decks in real life. So what if Wizards kind of realizes, oh, we don't need Arena to at all align with anything out of standard? What if they're like lightning bolt now is one in a red on arena oh, or brainstorm I, no, brainstorm draws no, two cards and puts no. one card back on top. That's that's bad. Don't do that to me. I don't I don't want that because 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 sure the the iconic recognizability of the like sort of pillars of magic. The, his, the history of the game is is magic's greatest asset. It's the thing that it has going for it. That's most important, more important than any other collectible card game that's ever been created because of the longevity, because we're now going on. Uh, you know, we're, we're in year 28, right? Like that's the point. Like we're going to be at 30 years pretty soon. Um, it actually brings us nicely to the point of an episode we're going to do soon, which is the concept of power creep and how magic has changed because the whole point of tonight's episode really is what is the future? We had an 18 month hiatus where things were not normal. And in that time, the world changed, the magic world changed. So now we have digital only cards coming. We have a serious focus from the from the company that makes the game on casual magic, commander magic. That's the place where we are having the most success. So let's put our resources there and we're seeing it. We're seeing it just hand over fist. So if you talk about something like Lightning Bolt being one in a red on historic, like in arena, I'm just like, no, because now you're telling me that all of the power and all of the uh, magic, power and magic, wrong words, all of the credibility and the excitement of the original parts of the game that got me and you addicted, you have to just say, like, if Lightning Bolt's one, it's always going to be one. If I want to have something else that costs two... Let, Lightning Bolt might card. be a bad example because all of these things exist, right? I think, like, a better example would be Arc Light Phoenix now requires four cards to be cast sure, versus or, three. Or, or, or Autumn's Veil costs green one instead of just green. Like, yeah, like, things, things that aren't like lightning bolt is like every every scale of of summer yeah every scale of lightning bolt has been printed right there's a two mana three version there's a one mana two version there's a one mana one version (laughs) there are one mana four versions kind of um my my point is to say i don't care about lightning bolt my point is to say that nothing iconic memorable or important that has a real history should be changed i'm i'm gonna go i'm gonna go a little farther than that because i think that i don't care about that from really? uh, from a like, I don't care about. M- I am resistant in general to caring about nostalgia protectiveness, right? Like, I don't care that this car, like, I don't care that Lightning Bolt is three for one. Like, if 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 they wanted to print something on the mat, whatever. 
my worry is uh, from a game design perspective and a game balance perspective or knowledge of the game is magic is the most complicated game in the world, right? And keeping what cards do in a player's brain, even the greatest pro players in the world is hard, right? There's a reason people like coming to this podcast because we have worked really hard to know what most cards can do. And the moment you start having cards in two different environments that are meant to be uh, copacetic, right? Like a magic player on arena is supposed to want to play magic and paper and vice versa. The moment that cards that they know do different things in two places and they have to keep track of that is the moment the game becomes too complicated. Like there will be tournaments lost because I forgot that this card was randomly nerfed on arena, even though when I played it in modern three days ago, it's a totally different card. So I well, think and also, I mean, I mean, we, 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 we talked about the whole idea in modern of you playing a Narset and activating or just having Narset, me playing Serum Visions and just drawing my card. And then us realizing five turns later that I just did that. And like, it's an issue right. because like, it's not intuitive to keep track of. You're talking about stuff that goes format to format, version to version, not just, and, and, and what I'm talking about is just legal modern magic. It's already hard enough to keep track of. Like, Magic is so complicated. It is so extremely complicated yeah. that having to keep track of like how what number of cards Arclight Phoenix can needs to be cast before it comes into play, or like if Snapcaster Mage in Arena adds one extra mana plus its flashback cost for you know like there's all little tweaks and it's all going to be little tweaks. They're not going to do anything drastic. Is is too much. I, I think that I think that would be a huge mistake. And I think I'm totally fine with them adding cards like these. I think these are cool. I think they're cute. I think they'll be fun to play in historic. I think they'll be fun to play on arena. And I don't have to worry about them in paper magic. And the fact that this type of thing isn't affecting paper magic in that way is fine. It's the one thing that I did want to bring up before we before we finished is it does suck. It's not necessarily before we finish, but one thing I was hoping for and it's kind of in the conversation of like pioneers lack of success is I was kind of hopeful that historic could be a paper magic experience format. I, I, I agree. I agree with that. I think, I think I was very excited for a little while. They're streaming historic. I, I did a lot of it. I was sort of, I'm planning here in the next 27th of July when we're recording this. So I'm planning within six weeks here of getting back on streaming once, twice a week, getting like, little more significantly involved with it and for, and historic was the most convenient format that i enjoyed playing the most um but the idea that it's not available in paper because of this decision it's not going to be a thing that we ever see mm-hmm. makes it just a little bit less and i also think the other issue with historic which is a different conversation for another time and something you and i talked about last week which is that like the entry level the cost of it if you come in cold these days is really hard it's hard to get into historic it doesn't actually have an economy that is supportive of new players that combined with the fact that some of the stuff's going to be exclusive to only historic. So the, we do a podcast about paper magic. That's what our podcast is. So investing time in something that will never be paper magic. That's a harder place to be. Sure. Now I do think, I do think a few things. One, one, it does suck Two, I think two decisions have happened. I think that they've decided that historic will be the legacy of, of arena. Why limit themselves to things that they want to be able to be paper legal between modern and standard when on arena, right? Cause like, that's what historic is. It's every card that's legal on arena is legal here other than like a few randoms. So why can't we bring in cool stuff? It's what they did with the mystical archive with that in mind, th- that does open up a door for a pioneer 2.0 to be released on arena. And but have sure. it be a paper format first that's founded. Like I think they should found. I, I think they still might do it, right? They they have walked away from Pioneer being the focus, but I could see them literally coming out with Shadows of Ranistrad and just say Shadows of Ranistrad Forward is a format in Paper Magic and a format on Arena, and they're both called Pioneer 2.0 Electro whatever, and that's that's the future of the because because eventually Arena will need a standard light or standard standard plus, right? That's why modern exists is that new players coming in will need a middle ground where their cards are legal. Arena is not there yet, but one day it will be. And at that moment, I think is the moment you launch that with a paper format. Cause I do think, I do think there needs to be a format between modern and standard. I think there's a space for pioneer. I think the launch of pioneer was a mistake 
And I think the format they started in was a mistake, but I do think that has a future. And I think that arena will need it. And at that point, then all these cards just become what the commander cards are to legacy, right? Like legacy gets to play with Leovold and gets, or used to, I forget if Leovold was banned in legacy, but gets to play with true name nemesis, right? That card was not made for tournament play. It was a mistake for tournament play. That card was made for commander where like giving protection from one player is bad when two other players can affect it in legacy broken legacy is now what that is right and vintage to some extent and historic will just be that format where eventually there needs to be a pioneer that is only standard ever legal cards that fits more within the framework of how classic formats work and i i'm fine with i'm fine with arena having a legacy i think it needs it i think any any type of digital thing needs to be able to play with all the cards you've ever been able to procure but it also probably needs a modern and it doesn't have to be called modern but a modern in the sense of the middle ground that doesn't is a tournament player old tier format that doesn't have every random idea you've ever printed into a battle bond legal do you think that there's a difference in the backwards compatibility of Legacy, including reserveless cards that have no ability to be reprinted ever again, and them existing only in this one little place, this one limited microcosm, um, and then digital cards being historic that will only ever be in the historic format that are digital, where they both have the same problem of there is a limited play experience that will only exist ever if you're doing this one thing, and it can't translate to anything else. See, in my opinion, the... The, the reserve list version of it is less problematic because of the fact that the dual lands are just in commander. Like the most popular format includes the most prohibitive cost part of legacy. Whereas there is no play experience with those digital cards in historic that's ever going to become ubiquitous in, in magic. Like they're just, they're only going to be there in that one thing. What, what, what about when people stop playing historic? If people, what if people stopped? I shouldn't say when. What if Historic just stopped being popular? Like, what if it just completely died? What would happen to those cards? They would just be these things that still exist. They exist somewhere, but they only exist in a format that doesn't get played now. Well, that's, that's, I mean, what happens to vintage cards, right? Like, like they're collectible. They're pieces of paper that you can have in a binder and they have a cost value associated. Well, but there's a ton of vintage cards that are only playable in vintage that are worthless, right? I mean, we joke about Slash Panther. Now, some of them are worth a ton. The ones that are banned in Legacy some of them are worth a ton, but some of them aren't worth anything, right? Like Treasure Cruise is worth nothing. And that's like a the only format you played as a vintage and commander. I, I guess I guess my thought is the reserved list is a significantly worse mistake than this. Mm. Well, sure. Because there may be no because, <laughs> that's your because there may be no there may be no demand for these cards ever. What? If the answer is if, if historic stops being played, the demand for these cards is nothing. I, I don't, and if and I, like And I don't think historic will ever let me rephrase that. I don't think a historic-like format on Arena will stop being played as long as Arena is still being played, right? I don't, like, as much as people are saying, I'm going to quit historic. Like, fine, quit historic. But I think people will play historic Brawl or they'll play Gladiator, which is one of the most fun things you can do that. Like, Wizards will find a way for people to play older cards they like to play because because to your point look at modern right like oh i mean you could say the same thing about modern. what if people just stop playing modern they won't unless just because like i want to play with tarmogoyf i want to play with lightning bolt i want to play with ragavan i want to play with liliana the veil i want to play with liliana the veil as much as i possibly can i want to play with snapcaster mage i want to play with stoneforge mystic right like right you the those there's a reason we like magic cards of high power and we like playing in formats where we get to play them and historic offers that for a lot of iconic cards extra now because of all the new stuff. So I think that I want to play with Faithless Looting. (laughs) You want to know where I can play with Faithless Looting right now and find a game right now? It's only on Historic. So yeah, it's fair. I don't think Historic I don't think a Historic-esque format doesn't exist as long as Arena doesn't exist. Right? Like if Arena, if people, if Arena dies, which is possible, I think these cards go away alongside of it. But that happened with the Chandelar game. That happened with the weird Magic the Gathering app where people battled each other. That happened to the World of Warcraft trading card game, right? Like there is other games that have died. I, my, a buddy of mine showed up at our house over the weekend to play a game called Scythe, and he's super into Dune. And brought with him the entire 1998 
Dune trading card game collection completed every single card from that set, <laughs> all four sets of it. And it's like, it's gorgeous. It's really cool. The rules are way more complicated than magic, which is saying a lot. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, extensive and like no one plays that game or like, you know, the weird, the, the, the weird few people that have been able to hold on to that collection weird in a good way. But you know, the, the, the people yeah. that have uniquely been able to do that get to play, but like that that's the worst case scenario with these cards and i don't think that's going to happen i think people are going to play arena if one of these cards is really good like like the thing people are worried about is the hearthstone problem i think more than anything which, which is, is that hearthstone games really leaned into these mechanics like key features of these of of hearthstone were like cards that would randomly bring in like these are not direct translations, but there'd be like this six drop. So, so Mer Battlesphere, instead of getting three Mer tokens, it would get three random Mer that have ever been printed and put them into play. Oh, right? sure. That's, and, that, and, that's, and, that, and that's the concern based on the random conjuring thing. Correct. And, yeah. and, and it had a big swinginess effect on the game where the difference between you getting towards the plowshare and the white gain for life or put a plus one plus one counter is so high that and and part of the problem is that they would put them on pushed cards right like the like like it would be like primeval titan finds you a or a titan if the blue titan said found a random blue instant through all of magic history and you get to cast yeah. it when an attacker came into play that card is still a six six trample that draws you a card when it attacks and plays but sometimes that card is brainstorm sometimes that card is ancestral visions sometimes that card is unsummon and there's no creature the, in play the, 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 the randomness there is not ideal right. i understand that concern there i mean i think i think guys this will be this will be my final thought on, on the episode i think on the whole topic of the brave new world of magic like because you know we talked a lot about this going into the episode what would it look like um new ip like dungeons and dragons is is a brave new world you know we're going to see a lot more stuff like that and we're going to see a lot more uh complication of this thing that has sem seemed so pure and consistent for so long uh, that we've really understood and has been one way and we're seeing changes that's fine that, that happens it's the game's been around for 30 years pretty soon so it's it makes sense but i think as far as uh the stuff that we're talking about goes and 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 what do i expect and am i concerned with any of those things I think the people involved who make the game, um, and we know a lot of them, you know, a lot of the people who are actually there creating it, they have a real love for what has made this game great for a very long time. And as much as you listening and us, we all like to imagine that there are a bunch of sort of, you know, corporate fat cats up there writing checks and making decisions that don't reflect our wants and needs as fans of the game. Um, they won't just invalidate everything that the, the hive mind the smart people who make this game think and believe. And we know a lot of those people who make the game on a first name basis who believe that this thing needs to be great. They know they, they know specifically what it takes for it to be great. Like they really do. They're pro tour winners. They're, <laughs> they're grand prix winners. They're, these are the best players and the best minds that the game and, and they didn't just come to the game. The game taught their brains to be the way that their brains are. So I think that when you look at all of it, if you're concerned with the future of it, because I understand your concern, I, I hear it. Like there are parts of the digital stuff that makes me a little bit concerned. Uh, I just don't believe they would drop the ball that hard. There, there may be mistakes, but if there's a mistake, that mistake will be made up for and, and the ship will be righted. Um, and this game will continue because it's just it's what they're good at. And I wouldn't entrust myself or you to, to do what these guys do. They, that's what they their job. They spend all their time doing it. We love it. We talk about it a lot. But I mean, this is their 40 hour a week or more job is to think about what makes the game great. <laughs> they won't bring on a license unless it's a good license. Even the Walking Dead cards, which were so heavily criticized, are sweet cards. The cards are great. I understand the IP can, it was a concern for people, but people were crazy about those cards a year ago. They were insane about them. Very mad. Still we mad. don't even talk about them now. We, they don't matter. We, a couple of people have a problem with them, but they just don't matter. Like right. they don't matter at all. There was like a t blip on the radar, and ninety nine percent of the time, that's what it results in. So, I'm excited for the future of Magic. I think that what they're doing and the positive stuff we were talking about with celebrity involvement and the marketing budget going where it's going, and more shows and creators popping up doing really cool content. I think the future of Magic is really bright. Yeah. And a few digital cards that we can't get our hands on in person i'll take the risk i'll take that risk for now you know i expect it'll probably work out just fine right right and and 
Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the the biggest complaint I have about the Jumpstart thing is honestly just how expensive it is, right? You're adding so many cards all at once, and we haven't even talked about, and we'll talk about in the future, uh, like, they're going to be adding very powerful cards from Modern Horizons 1 and 2. When those are added alongside these cards, like, these cards are not even going to be the problem. It's going to be all of these Modern Horizons level, power level cards being added to the format, and the only way you can get them is through a Jumpstart experience, which is expensive. That, I think, is going to have more of a negative effect on the card economy. That is going to be a slowly thing that will go away. And that has more to do with my complaints on the buying in and out of historic issue that I do hope is solved. Like, of the two issues here, that to me is so much more significantly a problem on, like, the fact that I have to spend real effort to buy into historic. And then if I mess up and buy a deck that gets banned or the metagame changes and or and some of the cards I went deep on this specific synergy are no longer viable, I can't sell out. I can't be like, oh, you know, I don't like Jund. I'll sell you my Tarnum Bogorfs. It's, oh, I don't like Jund. I guess I have to grind more wild cards. <laughs> now, those are cheaper to get than Tarmogoyf, so there's like a give and pull there, but I think someone put it at like $600 to get enough wild cards to be able to get every one of these cards in here. So it like that's the challenge. When it comes to what the like these cool like these cards like, I think Garth One Eye is dope in regular Magic, and that worked. And a lot of these cards are just versions of that, and like or the modifying idea, things. Yeah. Like the modifying stuff is dope. Like that's something I wish Magic could do, and that's something that I think is thing. I think people are a little worried about the randomization. Mostly, it's they're on underpowered cards. Maybe some of them will be really powerful. If it becomes a problem, Wizards can ban them, um, and you'll get wild cards for them. <laughs> I think like. I think it's fine. I, I've always been on the side of Wizards pushing the barrier on this stuff, on design stuff, versus and then and then figuring out ways for players to be best held. And if of the of the controversies, I'd rather bring tournament playback and I'd rather there be ways to buy in and out of collections or get wild cards cleanly for your next deck, have a crafting system than 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 care about randomized cards being different and not exist in paper. Um yeah, so that's it for today's episode. Uh, thank you to uh, all of our patrons who help make this podcast happen. Uh, we will be they they get a whole early release of this episode. This is this is uh, they they get an audio only release that includes about twenty minutes of content. Today we talked about Space Jam two. I have strong thoughts about it, and you won't be able to find out what they are until there. Uh, also, make sure to check out uh, our live stream for Commander every Monday night. And uh, I don't know who the guests are tonight yet at this point, so we'll figure that out between now and Monday. Um, I also do a lot of TikTok, so if you want to follow me at Kess Wiley on TikTok, there's a link tree you can click on. It has all the links everything, but TikTok is probably one of the places I've been most active at recently. And then, uh, yeah, Ben, where, do people, where can people find you? You guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and on Instagram. Those are the main places we mentioned I was going on tour already. And um, I have a big rebrand going on on my YouTube channel, which is um, youtube.com slash nerds and suits. By the time you hear this, it will have a new name that reflects probably my name because I don't wear a suit as often anymore. And uh, that's that's more of a place I'm trying to do music content and have a really direct connection to my audience. And uh, nerds and suits is fun of a brand name as it is just isn't really as uh, obvious of a name for it as I used to think it was. So that's changing. Uh, otherwise, though, Magic, uh, I'll be streaming here pretty soon. I'll be talking about it on the show once I have set days and times, and I'm looking forward to it. So thanks for listening to the show, guys, and we will see you same time, same place, next week. Bye, everybody. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.